So this is our third lesson in expository of the Acts of the Apostles. These are the actions. These are the deeds of the men that were apostles. You know, even the word apostles or the word apostle means to be sent or one that is sent. I thought we would just look at the objective of this in, in light of Paul's uh, admonition to his apprentice, Timothy. And this is what Paul wrote to Timothy, and it gives us um, purpose, reason, the objective for studying, uh, for to study any scripture, and in particular the Book of Acts. Paul wrote, "But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned." So let's just pause, and we'll just kind of uh, take this like we're unpacking. Um, a, a gift. I I remember finding that that the the Russian dolls. Have you ever seen a Russian doll? You have this big doll, and you open it up, and there's a smaller one inside, and you just keep going, and there are just there are just many, many, many Russian dolls, and and um, that's kind of how we have to look at this. To continue in what you've learned. Now, to continue in what you learn means that you practice what you know. If you don't practice what you know. You, you don't unlearn it necessarily, but you do not cement that knowledge in your life. Because to know something is to do it and to rehearse it. In fact, the best way to retain knowledge is to repeat it out of your mouth, to say it out of your mouth, or to re-say it, or to retell it. That's the best way to know something. Paul is going to admonish Timothy, who he is going to appoint as a pastor, to continue in the things which you've learned and has been assured of, you know that they're uncertainty, uh, knowing of whom are having trust in the person that taught you in the first place. And that from a child you've known, of course, his mother and grandmother were powerful ladies, women of the Lord. Uh, Paul had already described that. He said, the unfeigned faith of your mother and your grandmother, I have confidence in you because of the unfeigned faith of them. So, this is what you've learned. You've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. There is the key right there. The Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. If you needed any knowledge... Today, to fix anything, to repair it, you can go to YouTube. There's all, kinds of, there's all kinds of videos. You can learn how to repair things. You can learn some subject, any subject in the world now. You can find it somewhere. Someone's teaching that. Any language, any, any recipe, anything that you, that you might have a question about. That you, you, can, you, can, you can look that up and, and find it. This is, this is the most critical of all the wisdoms of the world, wise unto salvation. How are you going to be saved? How will you be saved? Here's another question. Will you be saved? Are you confident of your salvation? Are you sure that if the Lord came back today or you did not make it another day, are you certain that you are saved and you are saved without any hesitation. You can say, I, 
I'm confident in my salvation. So Paul is going to describe why do you want to know the Holy Scriptures? Because they make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he just adds this all Scripture, even the book of Acts. All Scripture is by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. There's, there, there are five main things. Uh, four with one declarative. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. And this is declarative in righteousness. So it's not just any instruction, but how to live right. Um, uh, instruction in righteousness. And the reason is that the man of God may be for perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There is a reason why we study the scripture. They make you wise unto, the, unto salvation. And they, uh, they are the furnishings or the strength of your life. I'm, I'm more and more, and I, I go through these moments where I just have to push pause buttons and take the phone and turn it off and put it in the other room, put it in a drawer and, and uh, hide it under a pillow and lock the door and go somewhere and leave the phone at home and get in the car and turn off everything and take my Bible and a notepad and not even speak, read and write and think and close my eyes and the noise of, of the world. There's another noise and it's the, it's the rat race. It's, it's the duties, the things that we all must do. But there comes a time when you have to step away from all of the requirements that life demands of you to hear the voice of God. In, in, a, in a different era, this was easy to do because we had no options and we had no outlets. But today, the options have stolen our time. In fact, it's so much that, that there's a, a massive group of people who will say, I don't have time for Bible study. I just don't have time. I'm too busy. If that is the case, uh, then you are just too busy then you have to cut out things because we're learning and we have learned the wrong thing. We need to carve out time. And, and I know I've said this many times, but when I was very young, uh, the gasoline, gasoline stations were closed on, on Sunday morning. Uh, uh, the, a lot of the stores were closed on Wednesday night. People, all the people in our little town went to church. There was nothing was open. Um, and, and, and so Wednesdays and Sundays, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter what denomination you were. Um, uh, all of the people found a place. It was a simpler time. And I relish those moments because I remember in the, in the, in the simple time, we had more scripture. In today's time, we have a diluted scripture of commentaries where people smash the scriptures together and give you like, the cliff note of what it means. And instead of studying the scripture, we have these large thematic um, commentary books. And so we don't know the scripture. And because we don't know the scripture, we have an issue. Now, Hosea 6 and 6 
God spoke and he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What, what knowledge? Math? Science? Biology? No. It was the knowledge of God. And, and the destruction of any people, country, church, state, home, marriage, family, the destruction starts with a lack of knowledge of God. Because God is pure. He's righteous. He's holy. And he's the only thing whereby we measure our lives, the word, to know him, to proclaim him, to be close to him, to hear his scripture, his word, his God, breathe book. And, 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 and I don't want you to get in this either, although, although this is very easy to, for us to, to kind of drift off into this narrative where we just say, well, I'm Pentecostal. So what? What, what does that mean? People say, well, I'm, I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist, I'm, I'm, what, what does that mean? Does that negate the, the, your need to study the scripture? No, it should never, it, it should never trump your, your, your love and adherence to the scripture. To proclaim an affiliation does not mean that you, that, that, that you understand God. And so, so we have to get back to the scripture. Why? What is the objective to the scripture? To make you wise unto salvation. Not wise with the world. Not wise in all of the trades of the world. But to pause and to meditate therein. The only time the word success is mentioned in the Bible is in Joshua 1 and 8. It's the only time. And if you look at Joshua 1 and 8, the Bible says that I will meditate in the word day and night and then I will have good success. So a successful person has nothing to do with money. It's not status. It's not influence. It's not, it's not education in the world. It is the meditation day and night in the word. This is your bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How do I live? How am I supposed to live? You see, when I'm in the word, guess what it does? It throws a big filter over my mind, ears, heart, eyes. So that everything I see, it filters that. I'll know. I'll have good judgment. That's wrong. That's right. That's unholy. That's clean. That's good. That's evil. How do I know that? I know it because I'm in the word. I'm not in the word because I preach on Sunday. I'm in the word because it is my bread. I'm in the word because it's the only way that I can make myself wise into salvation. See, I've got this little burden on me like Paul wrote. I have to bring my body under subjection. Lest after I preach to all of you, I myself might be a castaway. <laughs> so I don't study the word to find some good nugget so I can give it to you on a, on a, on a day. I'm studying so I can, I can put that in my heart and make myself wise unto salvation. This is the plight of every real believer. Amen. And if it's, if it's in the book, we want to follow the book. Okay. I, I can't even really get into the next portion of the book of Acts because I, without, without knowing my objective with the scripture. Now, when I was young, in the Bible quizzing era that I was in, we memorized the book of Acts. We memorized the first chapter and the second, all the way. We memorized the whole book. 
But memorization was just the recital of the word. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't really know how to put it together. But it was the first step in hiding the word in my heart. But it wasn't in my heart necessarily. It was in my brain. So something could be in your brain, but not necessarily in your heart. So I could quote scripture, but I didn't really have it in my heart. So that's a difference. And people often confuse that. Well, I've, I've memorized 50 verses. Yes. Do you have them in your heart? Because the brain is the logical function where you can regurgitate words. But the heart means that it's guiding your life. The word guides your life. Amen. Now, in the book of Acts, this is not the book necessarily of instruction. So this is not a, this is not one of those instructions. Instead, it has, uh, it, it has other qualities to it that have its own profundity. So in your handout, I've written that when we're investigating this book, you recognize the purpose of it. All of the books, the 39 books in the Old Testament, the 27 books in the New Testament, uh, all of them have value because God has included them and the canon has included them and God has protected it through the years. And all of them are going to serve to proclaim the name of Jesus. They wanted to know the name of God. The, the, gave, the angel Gabriel, one of the archangels, sent the name to Joseph and to Mary and delivered the name. They did not name their own son. And this was not the only time that name was given uh, to, to parents, but this was the most significant and the greatest name of all. And so the name is going to be critical. In fact, Jesus would, would, would later say, ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. The name is the attack. It's the line of demarcation. And for all of you who have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, that is a very common thing that happens to anyone who asks of God. And so that's going to be common throughout the whole world. That's not the line. Jesus did not say you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake, for, 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 for the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues sake, but for my name's sake. That is the line. It's the separating line. The world hates the name of Jesus. It has been banned from all prayer in our public arenas and public squares. So we're looking at this, uh, at this book because it is where the early church, in fact, the first church began. The church that Jesus Christ began started in the book of Acts. So if you're going to, as we talked about in the first lesson in Hebrews chapter 9, the testament does not begin until the death of the testator. So while you can read in your Bible, you have your Bible, the Old Testament ends in Malachi. You got this page in between. Then you start Matthew and then Mark, Luke, and John. Well, really, the, the Testament actually does not go into force until the death of the testator, Hebrews chapter 9. Which means that the actual New Testament doesn't start till the very end of Matthew, the end of Mark, the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the end of all of that. So... All of those people, up until the time of the death of the testator, are hidden under the covenant of Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. So when you get to the thief on the cross, and 
and, he, and Jesus turns to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That thief on the cross, gets, he's the last one. He gets to slide underneath the shoulders under the arm of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the patriarchs and matriarchs of the Old Testament. But after the death of the testator, according to Hebrews, then the testament comes, the will comes into play. And then after that, a church is birthed. Because Jesus is going to say in Acts chapter 1, I am going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So a baptism is going to be introduced. A water baptism and a spirit baptism. Now, we already heard about this, even though it wasn't widely broadcast. We heard about it in John chapter 3. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you cannot enter heaven or see it until you're born again of the water and of the spirit. And so baptisms of water and the Spirit were already introduced long before Jesus died and long before the book of Acts began when Luke wrote to Theophilus when he said, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And so now we're, we, we find a couple reasons for the, for, the, for the book of Acts, and I won't exhaust them, but I present to you three main reasons for the book of Acts. Number one, it is an historical account. So this is the history of the early church. In fact, this is the history of the first church. If we want to know what we ought to do, we need to take a a consideration, a hard look at the template the template of the church is not a mega church. It's not a small church. It's not an on fire church. It's certainly not a dead church. It's the first church. It's the church that began in Acts chapter 2. The second reason for this book is that the gospel message, Acts chapter 2 verse 38. These were the keys to the kingdom. Where, where, where Jesus gave the keys to Peter and Peter preached How to be saved. Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. For, or to obtain the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is the promise of the Father. So, the gospel message. And then there's another thing that happened in here. It's the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. So, in the book of Acts, this is the actual occurrence of the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. It wasn't the first introduction, but it was the revelation. Okay. All right. How are we doing? Okay, everybody just nod to me. And even if you're sleeping, just nod a little bit. Okay. All right. Got okay. So, so the introduction happened a long time ago. It happened a long time ago. Jesus said himself in John 10, 30, I and my father are one. John 14, here's all the apostles. Philip looks at Jesus and he says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. And Jesus turned to Philip and said, Philip, have I been so long time with you and yet ye have not known me? He that seen me have seen the Father. Believe not that I'm in the Father and the Father is me. So this is the introduction, but nobody really declared it. I'll tell you when they declared it. They declared it in those 40 days of gray. Remember the 40 days of gray? Remember, I think it's Acts 1 and 4. That he showed himself alive by many fallible proofs being seen to them 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. 
he's there. He goes to the tomb. He's in the tomb three days. He rises from the tomb. Uh, he, he tells the disciples uh, all of these things. He sends them off. Forty days he's with them. He, he ascends. They're in the upper room for seven days. The Holy Ghost falls. Forty days he's showing them miracles, signs, wonders, all kinds of things. What happens in those 40 days? He appears to his disciple, but Thomas is late for the party. Jesus walked through the wall. He didn't have a door. He walked through the wall. They all see him. No one doubts a man who walks through a wall. But if you don't see him walk through the wall, if you're not there, yes, you have a little doubt. Now, if I walked through the wall, just appeared right through the wall, like that, everybody would say, okay. And I'd say, I have a word from God. And you would probably say, all right, I believe you now. But if I walked through the door, or if you showed up late, and I said, I have a word from God for you, you would probably say, well, let me hear it first, and then I'll tell you whether or not I think it's true. But if I walked through the wall, you probably would accept it without any other further explanation. So Thomas doesn't show up. He's late. He comes in later. He didn't see Jesus walk through the wall. And there's the Lord. And Thomas said, except I touch the nail prints, the holes in your hands, your side, your feet. I won't believe he does that. Here's the revelation. Thomas falls to his feet and he says, he proclaims, my Lord and my God. The revelation. Jesus is God. And out of his own mouth, he reveals it. So this is, this is not the only occurrence. It's not the only occurrence. In fact, in the book of Acts, and we're going to get to this, Paul has a conversion. The conversion is not, does not begin with the gospel. It begins with the revelation of who Jesus is. Paul receives permission, letters from Antioch to go persecute more Christians. He's on his way to Damascus. He imprisons them. He stones them. He rips their families apart. He takes mothers and fathers. He casts the children into the streets. He's on his way. A light shines from heaven. He is standing there. He is, he is, he is, he is blinded. He is, he is a self-proclaimed Pharisee, a zealot. That means he's always worshipped according to the Jewish tradition. So he is, he is like all of the other Jews. <laughs> and he looks up to heaven and he says, Who art thou, Yahweh, Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, who art thou? And this is in your Bible, Lord, capital L, which is Yahweh or Jehovah, Elohim, who art thou? And the voice says, I am Jesus whom you persecute. Mm, the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. So it's not just the gospel message. In the book of Acts, there is a revelation of who Jesus is. And the revelation is, is part and parcel of the explosion of of the New Testament church. This same Jesus, whom ye crucified, is Lord and Savior. This is what Jesus, this is what Peter said. This same Jesus, the revelation, oh my. Okay, and then finally, 
The third reason is the establishment of all cultures as part of the church. So, first of all, we have Jews. Acts chapter 2, we have Jews, Parthians, all the way, all the way to Cyrene. We have the Jewish people that have convened and come to Jerusalem. The Jewish people are going to observe Passover every year. After Passover, 50 days after Passover, to be exact, they're going to observe the first fruit, which is back in Jerusalem. That's Pentecost. Then in the fall, September, October, they're going to come back to Jerusalem and observe the Feast of Tents or a booth. Uh, they, they, I, we talked about it last week. It's called Sukkot. So you've got Pesach, uh, Passover, um, uh, you, you've got Sukkot, you've got, you've got all these, and they, they, they're coming in Jerusalem. This was the first culture. In fact, the Bible says that, the, that, that salvation was to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. And so, but there's other cultures that are going to be admitted into this thing. In fact, Philip is going to have a Bible study with an Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian is going to be a very powerful man. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, about that and, and as we, as we discover these, these truths, but multiple cultures and then also, uh, the Italians are going to come in and then, and then it's going to be beyond that. Greeks and, and all types of, of people are coming into, uh, in, into the church, which was really not accepted at first from the Jews. They did not believe that these people who who didn't follow the customs of the Jewish culture would be included. In fact, they didn't like the way that they washed their hands before they ate. They didn't like the kind of food that they would eat. Uh, they didn't like the clothes or the customs that they had. And and the Gentiles were not men of circumcision, so they did not they did not follow uh, the covenants that the Jewish people had followed. But the Book of Acts is going to declare a wide open. A declaration to establish all cultures as part of the church. Now, I want to I want to talk a little bit about this underlying challenge. I think it has great significance to the day that we're living in right now. In a single word, the early believers faced resistance. Everyone say resistance. They 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 faced resistance, and the resistance they faced actually. Promoted the gospel. I'm going to get to this. Uh, let me let me just do do this next line. It was a challenge from religious entities, civic leaders, and demonic spirits. So you had religion, you had uh, government, and you had you had demonic spirits. This was a. Many times over. Paul and, 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 and Silas were traveling and a, and a young girl with the spirit of divination followed them. She, she went behind them and she said, these men are the most high God. It was true. And she would, didn't tell people, follow them. But Paul did not want that kind of publicity. Just as a side note, not all publicity is good. We don't need a bunch of devils telling everybody that we're, we have the truth. <laughs> yeah. And so Paul rebuked the spirit. And the woman, the young girl that had the spirit of divination, she, the Bible says she brought her masters much 
uh, money or, or, or much wealth because she could forecast. She had the spirit of divination. And, and, and when it went away, she lost her, her, her dark supernatural power. And so they were angry with, 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 with Paul and, and the apostles. They were angry with him. That was not the only time. Uh, the seven sons of Sceva encountered a, a, a demon. They tried to cast the demon out of a man. And the man jumped on them. These seven men was overtaken by one man. And the, and the, and the man with the, with the demons ripped their clothes off. The Bible said they ran away naked. It was, it, was, it was very much, there was a lot of demonic activity happening. Why would there be demonic activity happening? Because... When there is truth preached, there will be a resistance. And three, it, it, it is a, it is a, it is like a, it's like a facet. There's three different angles of resistance against the preached truth, the word of God. Now, the first is not demonic spirits, but let's just, since we're there, let's talk about it. There is a demonic presence. It's, it's a powerful presence. In fact, Paul said, he described that we wrestle against principalities. A principality is a governmental body. We have a principality in, in, in our city, every city, and then counties. And over the county, there is a governorship. There's a principalities. There's, above that, there's regional principalities. We, we know this. This is just the natural world. In the mnemonic world, there are principalities and powers that rule over certain areas. I, I don't want to go down this road too far, but I just I want you to know that when I fly out of out of Indianapolis and I fly into another city, off times, off times, as I'm praying and God's giving me the word for wherever I'm going, I feel different, powerful presence, different spirits. Um, I went to three places in in a in a in a on a on a one trip, and I talked to um, um, a, a very profound man after I was through and I, and I said, this is what I feel. I went to Seattle. I, I went to San Francisco and I, and I went to Salt Lake City. And I identified the perversions. I, I closed my eyes and in, and in, and, and in San Francisco I saw, I saw a man with long, long, long hair. It was a, a but, but the figure was distorted. I, I saw, I saw some kind of some kind of corruption in in Seattle. I, I I wasn't sure it was, but it was a secularism. All I could think of. But when I when I when I got to Salt Lake City, uh, I wasn't even trying to feel these things. It just it was the heaviness. It was a clay, a mire. It was a dark clay, an oily thing. And 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 the the man that I talked to, I said, "Tell me about this." He said, "Of all of them, the, the there is a there is the deepest." darkest spiritual control in in utah there and we talked about it these are spiritual powers that rule over those areas i remember um, some of our missionaries telling the stories that when they went to certain places they they confronted the spirit world it was different in different areas of the world these are principalities that rule over areas they they there's a constant fight against the church when you're preaching Jesus and the revelation of Jesus Christ, there will be a demonic presence fighting you. Why? Because James wrote, thou believest that there's one God, you're doing good. That's doing well. But he said, but the devils also believe that there's just one God and they tremble at the thought of it. So when the church preaches that there's one God, not two, three, four, not polytheistic, 
but monotheistic. When the church preaches the Bible, which is a monotheistic Bible, there is only one Lord. In fact, Paul said there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. When you do that, you're going to, you, you incite the demonic world. There will always be resistance against every church that preaches the truth. I'll put it in my verbiage. Every apostolic church is going to have a, a, a demonic pushback. He is not going to let us go about what we're doing hands off. There is a demonic resistance to everything that we're doing and it's found in the book of Acts. Let me just go a little step further here. If he can't get to me, he'll get to Tammy. If he can't get to my wife, he'll get to my kids. If he can't get to them, he'll get to another leader. If he can't get to that leader, he'll get to that leader's children. It's always going to be, a, you, you don't ever get close to Jesus without, without, without also inciting the spirit world. You don't preach the word without, without there being a, a spiritual pushback. He's not fighting the world. He already has them. He's going to fight the church that preaches the truth. Any church that is preaching the name, the revealed name of Jesus Christ is going to have a resistance to it. You are not going to go uncovered in this world. You're not going to just slide by and, and the world not going to pay attention. The devil knows exactly who you are. And you ought to be thankful about that because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you go to lay hands on somebody, you don't want the devil to say, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? The, the devil's going to say, I know Jesus, I know Paul, and I know who you are too. There is a demonic resistance and a pushback. There is that. You go ahead and preach righteousness and truth and see what the devil does. He is angry with every church that preaches the Bible. Amen. I'm going backwards, so I might as well get into the government civic leaders here. There's a resistance against, from the civic leaders. Why is that? Because this is an invasion of power. And, and it, it, it's, it's, they, they're often guided by a secular tone. They're often guided by what is palatable to the masses. If you haven't noticed already, you're in the minority. You're not a big voting block. So they're going to cater to the loud voices in the biggest voting block. And they're going to try to find solutions that the Bible has already declared. Uh-oh. I teach our children and teach our teachers to teach our children abstinence I do not teach safe sex <laughs> alright I thought somebody might say Brent, thank you praise God okay but the world the government does not do that they cater to the desires of the human will and the flesh so when we stand up and say, oh no, hold on a second. We've got another form of education. It's a Bible education. It's called purity till you're married. You are pure. You are pure, untouched, unknown. What the civic leaders say to me is, well, you're not living in the real world. <laughs> no, I'm not living in your world, but I'm living in the real world. This is the world that should be. 
And while you're giving awards to all those people and, you know, these, these people, they've, they've, they've helped all these folks, you know, and, and found that person and helped them with their, trying to help them with their safe sex. And, and then they're having babies and diseases and all the things. They're not giving us any awards because we didn't have any babies out of wedlock. And if we do, we understand. Now listen, don't get all uptight. <laughs> don't get uptight. You got children that have babies out of wedlock. We're going to love them. But don't put me in a box that I can't preach against abstinence or, or preach for abstinence. And, and just because you made a mistake sometime in life, let me go ahead and have, have the word in my mouth. Let me preach the word. If, if, if you say, well, you know what, pastor, it's kind of offensive because that's where I came from. Well, we don't want people to go where you came from. <laughs> okay, I, I'm, did I get a little sassy here? Sorry. The Bible study. Calm down. It, it, this is the pushback. But the number one resistance comes from the religious people. Always the religious people. Why? Because the Bible talks about that they would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power thereof. Hmm. They'd have a form of God, but they deny the power of the Holy Ghost. Some would be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. People studying the Bible over and over, reading the Bible, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Read through the Bible 50 times, all the time. We're reading, making notes. How could you not come to the knowledge of the truth? But when they have a relationship, they have a relationship, but no teacher. They have a relationship with the Scripture, but no understanding the Scripture. They're learning, but they're not coming to the knowledge of the truth. Because the truth never sets you free. Better go back to the word. I'm in the word. Jesus never said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. He did not say that. They set you free is like a bird in a cage. You're free. Set you free is when you committed a very bad crime and you get to the judge and the judge said, you know what? We're just going to throw away the law and set you free. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus did not say set you free. He said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It grinds you. It tears away all that outer dark and, and does those edges of your life. It makes you, it molds you. You'll know the truth and the truth will form you. It will change your disposition so that you're like, like Christ. It doesn't just set you free like a bird. No, it takes you and it, it chisels away that bad spirit. It, it takes away all those things that, that, that bind you. It, it, it removes you from places and people and things and jobs. It makes you free. You'll know the truth and the truth will put you in a mold so that you can be like Jesus. That's right. So watch, watch this religious group. The Pharisees and the council and the Sanhedrin. You'll find them in the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts. You'll find them. They are the first ones to resist Peter and John. No sooner had Acts 2 taken place than Peter and John, Acts 3, they're on their way to the temple to pray. Because that was their custom. And they saw a man. He was lame. Sitting at the gate called Beautiful. And the man looked at them and asked alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon that man, said, look on us. 
And the man looked on Peter and John, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter, I don't know if he did it or not, but it sounded like his words. He took his pockets out of his, we don't have any money. Silver and gold have we none. We have got nothing to offer you. But such as we have, we've got something, but it's not silver, it's not gold, it's not a shekel. What we have is this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and lifted him up. And the Bible says the man went leaping and dancing into the temple. A little side note for all of you people who think that leaping and dancing and shouting in the church is not right. Go back to the book. Get in the book of Acts. You'll find out people shouted in the book of Acts in the temple. In In fact, David said, praise is comely for the upright. You can't buy an outfit. That makes you look better than when you're shouting in the church. In fact, the favorite, your favorite outfit should be, I shout and worship when I get to church. Amen. Just a little plug. <laughs> and then, and what happened? They, they took Peter and John, and in some parts of the scripture, you're gonna find out that they would examine the apostles by scourging them. Now, there's an examination. This is a palatable way of saying that they beat them to see if they could beat some other kind of testimony out of them. They put Peter and John in the middle, and, they, and this would happen on repeated times. In fact, at one point, they said, did we not straightly command you not to preach or teach in that name, but you have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine? So the religious people were afraid of losing their power and their money. <laughs> now let me just tell you what the issue is. And will always be. The issue is never the issue. The issue is control. <laughs> and these Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. Especially the Pharisees and Sadducees. They didn't. The high priests, they were, they were in their own world, but the Pharisees said, you said, they had a real problem. They did not like each other. In fact, they despised each other. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They tried to trap Jesus many times. In fact, the one time they, 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 they knew, they knew about marriage. And they said, you know, a man, a man was married, his wife died, and the next one died, and the next one died. All these wives died. I'd have been asking, how did they die, man? Don't marry that guy. This is their answer. There's a question. Well, well whose, whose husband, whose wife will she be when she gets to heaven? They're all, because the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like each other. They had nothing to do with each other except the enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Jesus was there. And they tried to trap the Lord because... They hated him. This manifested itself in the book of Acts in a way that was unlike anything that they had ever seen. Because your greatest resistance are people who have a relationship with the scripture but do not know the truth. They know Jesus and they read the Bible but they've had no teacher. Whew. This is the underlying challenge of the church. There will be resistance. I don't know where the resistance is going to come from. I don't know what the resistance is in your life. I cannot tell you how many people have come into this house. They've come without their families. 
We baptize them in the only saving name of Jesus Christ, according to the scripture. Pray with them. And I knew that their families were against the church. They were against salvation. They were against the Bible. And I've often, often said, I feel like a broken record. Are you okay? Do you realize what you're going to face? I've had them time and time again say, my family would rather me be on drugs. They'd rather me be anywhere else but in the church. There is a resistance somewhere. There's going to be a resistance somewhere. But this is common. Now, the resistance, it results in something. The result of resistance is based on choice, however. Not, it's not you make the choice about how you want that to affect you. A sickness, an illness, a lost loved one, a lost job, money, external pressures. Religious people who hate the truth or they hate the name of Jesus or they don't believe what you believe or, or, or maybe governmental things or, or demon, whatever the resistance is. You make the choice and, and the result makes you either founded or failing. You are founded, grounded, or you're failing. There is an outcome to your choice based on the resistance that you experience in your life. Let me talk about resistance for a moment. Some of the, some of the things that resist commitment, what, what erodes people's faithfulness? Nothing erodes faithfulness like hypocrisy within this, within their family. When there's, when there's, when, when people within their own family, they, they're, they're clapping their hands and putting on their Sunday smile, but they, they, they're cussing like sailors on Monday and they're hateful and angry and bitter and mad and throwing things on Tuesday and they, and they're, they're really living an abhorrent life. And the people around them, their children and brothers and sisters and whoever they are, Watching this, there is, there is a, there's a pendulum that wants to swing way out of control and just throw all of the Bible, all the scripture away and say, they're all hypocrites. You have to resist that. There is a pushback and by choice, you've got to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to let their inconsistencies and their fallibility Deter me from being faithful to God. Number two is you're strengthened or weakened. It, this is, this happens in, in so many ways. You're strengthened or you're weakened. Or, 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 or number three, uh, there's growth or there's retraction. You can grow out of resistance. You make the choice. Make the choice to grow from from trouble, from, from heartache, from pain. Make the choice. Life is not going to be perfect for you, ladies and gentlemen. But you can grow in the Lord even at adverse times. In fact, it could be that your most, your most troubling season is the season of the, your most growth. You get deeper in God, more founded in the Lord when you go through anxiety and trouble and disappointments and heartache and pain. In my most hurtful moments of my life, that's when I found my deepest relationship with Jesus Christ. When I was cut and wounded the most, that's when I called on God. I found him to be a shepherd I never knew when I went through heartache, when I went through trouble. But it was a choice that I had to make. Don't die in your dilemma. 
you're going to be in a dilemma. Don't die in it. Don't wither away and die in it. Could I ask you right now, in two years from now, when I'm teaching, whatever the subject is, be faithful. I want you right here. You're going to have trouble in the next two, three, four years, five years. Don't die in that dilemma. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on the church. I don't care if it's the devil. I don't care if it's people around you. If it's hypocrisy, you got you to decide. I'm true. I'm faithful. Nobody's taking me out. You're going to have resistance and you're going to have trouble. But you got to make up in your mind. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not giving up on God and I'm not giving up on the truth. Now, you've got to say that to yourself over and over again, especially when you go through the trouble and the storm. Because you, when you get in the storm, you're going to feel like nobody loves me, nobody understands me, I'm by myself, I'm out here, I'm drowning, where am I at, where's the church? Get in the church. It's the only place. This is your place. You'll come out of that. You'll, you'll come out of that. Oh, my I want to just, where am I at here in my time? I'm losing time. I think there was a part last week that I skipped. I didn't even put this in there. It was locations. Remember that? We may never get back to that again. That ship might have sailed. I know some of you are upset because they're filling the blanks that were never filled in. When you get to heaven, ask Jesus what, what it was. I've already erased that from my mind. We, we can't go back. It, those fill in the blanks will never be recovered ever. Get the mind of God. Pray that God would give you a revelation as to what I was going to teach at the end of my lesson. Didn't get to it. I would love to hear from you. Let's just cover a couple of things. I want to just look at Acts chapter 8. Philip goes down to Samaria. Now, this is not really what the church in Jerusalem wanted him to do. Because the Samaritans were both Jews and Gentiles. They, they had intermarried with the Gentile. And they had a place of worship. It was a mountainous area. Just like, just like Jerusalem had, had its place. But since the Samaritans were not allowed to go to Jerusalem, to that temple to worship, they had their own mountain. In fact, that's what the woman at the well said. The Jews say in that mountain, we say in this mountain. And Jesus finally said, it's, it's, that's, that's not it at all. The Father seeketh such to worship him. Spirit and truth. And she was pointing out locations. And Jesus sat down at a well and spoke to one woman. He had a need to go through Samaria. He sat down with a woman of Samaria. When she realized who he was. She ran back to the city, got everyone she could. They all came out and Jesus taught them. When they left the Lord, they said, we believe that you are the Christ, not because of what she said, but because we have heard you with our own ears. Seeds are planted, perhaps hundreds of seeds. That's John 4. That's John chapter 4. It's relatively early in the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, it could be that happened in the first 18 months or less of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, now there's some scholars that, might, that, that would even say it happened shortly after the 12th disciple was called. So we, we, we're, we're looking at this, what, what Josephus might have written about that perhaps... Um, 
I'll, I'll, I'll let the school of thought um, be in your consideration. He, he concludes calling his disciples. He goes with them a bit. And then he wants to go through Samaria. And in light of his ministry, he sends them away to the city to buy meat. Because he knows they won't accept him talking to a Samaritan woman. Even she's surprised that he's doing that. She says to him, how is it that thou being a Jew speaks to me a woman? Samaritan. He bypasses all that. Plants the seeds. So this is early on. He will now live the totality of his ministry. Three and a half years. He'll be crucified. He'll be in the grave. He'll have those 40 days. There'll be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The early church will explode. Years have passed now. Philip now has has been appointed as an administrator. And he goes down to Samaria. He begins to preach. And a revival breaks out among the Samaritans. The Jewish leaders and the, and, and, and the apostles in Jerusalem, they do not want this to happen, but, but now we're with the Samaritans. This Samaria is the bridge. Samaria is like John the Baptist. He is the human plank that bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Samaritans is the, is the cultural plank that bridges the Jews and the Gentiles. And the revival breaks out so much that in Jerusalem they hear about it and they send down Peter and John, Acts 8, who when they were come down laid their hands on them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet none of them had received the Holy Ghost, only the Bible says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It was a massive revival. Now the seed had been planted long before the revival took place. This is my prayer. There have been Decades ago, three or four, in my discovery, three or four ladies' prayer meetings that have taken place around this city. They were praying in basements and in living rooms for a mighty revival to break out. I don't think that revival has yet to break out. But I'm believing that those seeds have been planted. I'd like to be the, be the, be the, the part of the body that gets to reap the harvest of the seeds that were planted. I, I want to be on Philip's side of that equation. I want to be in the church that has a mighty harvest. So, so what, I'm, what I'm telling you is there's a witness of Acts 8. The witness comes from John 4. Oftentimes we see things happening, but we don't know where it began. Just so your consideration, this did not begin last week. This church did not begin when I walked into this town 23 and a half years ago. This Holy Ghost did not begin when you came in. This might be the first time you've heard this, but this has been going on a long time. A lot of prayer, a lot of fasting, a lot of people have come through this town praying for a mighty Holy Ghost revival. Amen. All right. So. This is just the book of Acts. In, the, in, the, in, in, in Acts chapter 9, this is, Saul is called. His name will be changed to Paul. This is a, the, the, the powerful man in Acts 9. There's going to be a shift in awareness. If you, if you're going, if you kind of look at this, there's a shift in, in, in the, in the scenes of what's happening where Saul is converted He's going to become Paul. He's, we're, we're going to talk about it in a moment. But, but the deeds and the actions of Peter are now going to shift from the focus of 
Peter into Paul. Now, Peter is still very prevalent in the early church, but Paul, the, uh, the spotlight is going to shine on Paul. If, if you go just one more step down in Acts 9, there's some miracles that happen in Peter's life with Aeneas and Dorcas, and, and these powerful miracles are taking place. This is almost hidden, and people really, they don't pay attention to what's happening to Peter, but the, the, the power of the Holy Ghost was so strong, and in fact, people believe so much that if one of those apostles could walk by them and touch them, that they would be healed. In fact, it was so crowded that they would put their sick in the roadway that the very shadow of Peter, read it in your Bible, walking by might, might, might just, that shadow might brush by them and they would be healed. The faith was so high that God was using those men. Now it cost them something. Because they were all martyred, except for John. And he was boiled in oil and sent to the Isle of Patmos, a prison island. Think about that. It, 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 it cost them something. But the power of those that early church was that they were so devoted to the things of God that, that from Paul's clothes, they would tear off a bit of his clothes and anoint it with oil or, or, and send it out to people because he could not get to the people that needed to be touched or healed. And they believed that those, those, that little bit of fabric believing it touched the body of the apostle and they were healed and delivered. It was not the fabric. It was not the oil. It was the faith in Jesus Christ. But they used simple things to proclaim the power of the Lord. And if the Lord can use that, he can use anything. That's right. He used a chicken, a rooster to speak to Peter. Crowed three times. He used a burning bush to talk to Moses. He used a donkey to talk to Balaam. Donkeys can't talk. He, he can, if he can use a donkey, a rooster, a, and, a, and a burning bush, he can use anything. He can use anything. And this is what happened in the early church. The early church is our template. And if we're going to get back to where we need to be, we need to get back to the miracles, signs, and wonders that follow us. How do we get there? It's going to come through prayer. It's going to come through selflessness. It's going to come through faithfulness. It's going to come through devotion to the word. we got to have a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. We've got to come in with expectation to believe that God is going to do the work. That he's going to do it. Amen. And all the people said amen. This is an open door in Acts chapter 10. And I'm almost through. I know the time is closing. Acts chapter 10 is the open door to the Gentile revival. And of course that is the house of Cornelius. He gave much alms to the people. He prayed always, but he has no idea who he's praying to. And there's an angelic visitation, both to Paul and to Peter. Peter is in argumentation with God, but the result is that, is that Peter will go to visit. He brings Jews with him of the circumcision because, of course, uh, it appears he's uncertain of himself. And when they receive the Holy Ghost, even, while he's preaching, he turns to the Jews that have been circumcised. Of course, they were believers. and They'd already been baptized in Jesus' name. He appeals to them. He says, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? 
and on the appeal, of course, they could not resist that because only God can give someone the Holy Ghost. And he commanded, the Bible says he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So these are these massive thematic movements in the book of Acts. They, they, they give us understanding. They're not just this historical account, although uh, that, that is a, the basis of our understanding. But they give us the understanding of this great gospel. I really want to cover a little bit of Barnabas here. I love his name, Acts 4.36. His name is called the Son of Consolation. And, and in and a literal term for us, it would be the son of encouragement. I, I, want, I want to just go to the end, and, and, and it, I want to give us this little working definition. I wrote this today. Understandings, it's, it's a plurality of truths. This is the, my working definition. They are those truths which uncover the broader message. They include, they're not limited to insights or backgrounds and contexts. They're not limited to that. They include that, but they're, but they're broad. They're, they're broad. They, they, the, these understandings. You have to get these understandings. I, I want to talk about Paul and Barnabas for a moment. David wrote the Psalms, most of the Psalms, not all of them. He wrote many of the Psalms, maybe I should say that. Asaph, sons of Korah, wrote also. David wrote many of the Psalms. Jonathan did not write any Psalm. But Jonathan's faithfulness to David and his steadiness and his covenant friendship. Jonathan did not write a Psalm, but he steadied the hand that did. Barnabas did not write the scripture, although Tertullian, in my research, wants to give some of Hebrews, the writing of Hebrews to, to Barnabas. I'm, I'm, I'm unclear of that. If you, if you uh, have an opinion, that's great. Um, but it doesn't appear that Barnabas wrote any of that manuscript. Maybe Tertullian has some, some insight. I, I, I cannot tell, but this is a... The only thing that would be attributed to Barnabas. But Barnabas took Paul when Paul was a young convert. And all of the elders rejected Paul. Of course, there's good reason. They probably had some history with Paul. When Paul was named Saul and he was crucifying and killing rather. uh, Persecuting their families. (laughs) And and they had some bad. It was some bad blood. You are saved. You want to be in the church. You want to preach and teach. Aren't you the same God guy who, yeah, you, you separated my cousin's family, my aunts and uncles, the children that they never recovered what you did. It's one thing to see someone from a rough background coming to the church, your church. It's another thing to accept someone who's wounded someone in your family and come into the church. It's hard to allow them to sit next to you, much less make them your preacher and teacher. 
There was ample reason. Of course, they were wrong. They, they were wrong. And the only one who had any kind of comfort and grace was Barnabas. And Barnabas, at one point, took Paul into his home for over a year. Now you see the son of consolation, the son of encouragement. He did not write those 13 epistles. He just gave the hand that wrote them integrity. Abigail was never the favorite queen, but she saved David by keeping him from retribution against her husband. Read in your Bible. I preached about her some years ago. I can't even remember the sermon title, I tell you, but you'd have to go back and look at it. I don't know. When, when Abigail's husband did not help out David's men, but cast them away, he had bread and food and water and wouldn't let any of them drink. And David in a rage would come and kill him. And Abigail met David on the way, loaded down her her horses with bread and fed and begged, don't take retribution. And David later committed Abigail. She saved him from having blood on his hands. She didn't write a single psalm. She never led. But the Lord took care of the battle and the Lord put her, the husband to death. And when David found out that God took care of him, he went off seeking Abigail and Abigail became David's wife. You see, some things are understandings. You don't get the whole picture until you let the story unfold. And that's exactly what Barnabas was. Let me, let me just share. In the last portion of Acts 4, right before Acts 5, there was some need in the church for, for money, for a love offering. And Barnabas was the first to bring a sacrificial offering. Barnabas was one of the apostles. And he laid it at the feet of the other apostles. Because leadership always gives first. Right? That's right. This is the establishment of Barnabas. And finally, I want to just talk about James. James was beheaded... And it pleased the unbelieving Jews. And the expectation of the Jews rose and Herod imprisoned Peter. And the expectation of the people was that Peter would also die. But the Lord delivered Peter out of that jail. Now, I need to cover this just very quickly. I know I'm over time. Why does James die and Peter live? Why is James thrust through with the sword And Peter walks out of the jail free and no chains, angels leading him. Why is it that one suffers and another rejoices? Why is one ill, sick, and the other is healthy? Who can tell except the plan of God is a mystery to all of us? He uses us in different ways. Per his kingdom request, I cannot tell. But all I know is that the Lord is good and the reward is waiting for James, just like it was waiting for Peter. The day came when Peter was crucified and the day when he was crucified, he did not want to be crucified like the Lord. 
So he asked them to hang him upside down. If you read Fox Books of Martyrs, you can note the death of all of the disciples and how they perished. James killed. And the acceptance of persecution was rampant then. And finally, these understandings that I offer tonight, they paint the larger picture without respect to the commentary and they give integrity to the whole. I'm concerned about people painting pictures for the delight of the hearer. I'm concerned about sermons that tickle the ears of the audience. Sometimes the word comes forth and it kind of grips our hearts. Sometimes it convicts us. Sometimes it just gives us reason to pause and consider our ways. But when we have understanding, it opens up something and it gives integrity to everything. Then we know it is of truth. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. And I pray that this word that I've taught, let it sink deep into our heart. Let the book of Acts come alive. Lord, let this be our template for this house. Let it flourish with understanding and truth, principles, the knowledge of your word. Let it make us wise unto salvation. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen.